Awesome. Thank you, Janice, so much. That was lovely. Uh, well, good morning, friends. My name is Reed Kappel, and um, I serve as the pastor of Trinity Fellowship here, and so glad you're here with us on this Advent Sunday. And uh, we're going to jump in. Um, I'm also the stage manager uh, of Trinity Fellowship, so uh, we're going to take a moment to pray uh, and then jump in together. So let's take a moment to pray in this time. Father in heaven, we, uh, we pause to slow ourselves down in the midst of a very hectic and busy season, to be reminded of the fact that you are with us, that you are Emmanuel, the God who has come to be with us in the person of Jesus. And so, Lord, we ask that in this time you would remove the distractions that are in us and around us that prevent us from seeing you, that prevent us from seeing you seeing us, the distractions that we give our attention and affection to in ways that hollow us, for they were never intended to satisfy us. And so, Lord, in this time, would we hear from you? Would we delight in you? And would you, by the power of your Spirit, form within us an increased capacity to delight in you, to find joy in your presence amidst the sorrow, amidst the pain, amidst the disappointment in our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, speak now through your word. We ask this in the name of Christ and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Well, today uh, we are in the third week of Advent, and, uh, and this is where we look into the theme. Uh, we, with the first week, we looked at hope. Uh, the second week, we looked at the theme of peace. And today, so kids, I'm going to give you a heads up, all right? I'm giving you the the, the little precursor to what we're talking about. Today, we're going to talk about joy, okay? All right, can you say joy with me? Joy, good. Okay, so I want to hear from you. What are some things that bring you joy in life? What are some things? Throw them out to me. What brings you joy? Football, amen to that, okay? What else? Playing with your sister. That is such a joyful thing. I love that. Yeah, what, what else? Being with your family, oh, that is very, these are, these are the right answers. Good job. What, what else brings us joy? What else brings us joy? Yeah. What's that? Happiness brings us joy. That's, that is wiser than you might even realize, the distinction between happiness and joy. Oh, I think somebody has my sermon already figured out. That's good. What else? Our bed, oh, beds. Who, who here loves beds? Who, who would rather be in bed right now? Amen? Um, just kidding, just kidding. I mean, kind of. Uh, okay, what else? One more thing, one more thing. What is it? Candy canes. Candy canes. That, those absolutely are wonderful sources of joy. You can also kind of, when you like suck on them, they turn them into a weapon. Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. I don't know why I said that. Yeah, right here. The Bible. The pastor's kid says the Bible. That's correct. Thank you. I'll pay you later. Appreciate that. No, that's good. The Bible, it does bring us joy. Absolutely. Absolutely. There are so many things that bring us joy in life. And what we're going to talk about today is what joy is, because joy, there's something different about joy than happiness. Happiness does bring us joy, like our young brother did share with us. But there's something different between joy and happiness. If you were with us when we started Advent, we talked about how Advent, just as Jesus entered into the world in a time of literal and metaphorical darkness, the season of Advent begins in darkness. We recognize that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. We are not the way we are supposed to be. And so we enter into a dark time, but recognizing that there is hope amidst our darkness. 
In spite of our failures, in spite of our limitations, God is working in our world and in our lives. And we also looked at this idea of peace. That despite the fact that we are anxious and fearful about a great many things, that there is peace to be found in the person of Jesus who is with us. And today we're going to talk about joy. And joy is something we all want. Joy is something we all try to go after. But we find it to be elusive. We find joy to be something that is hard to hold on to. It's kind of like sand. It doesn't stay in your hands very well. And I think that there is this general question that that people ask in our culture, just like, how do we find happiness? How do we find joy? How do we find contentment? Will we ever be happy? And I think that we are haunted by this, this ongoing pursuit of things, of hoping that the next thing we find in life will make us happy. And we assume that once we get it, we will be happy. But we all know that experience of pursuing something to to find happiness in. And we get it and we enjoy it after a little while and then it fades. And I think the thing that keeps us in this trap of pursuing things to find joy in, but they never really work. The thing that keeps us in this trap is the alluring lie that if we could just change our circumstances, we could be happy. But what we're going to see in our passage today is that joy, if there's there's one idea that you take from our time, I want it to be this, that joy is relational, not circumstantial. Joy is relational, not circumstantial. What that means is that our joy does not come from changing our life environment or the things that we're able to do or the things that we're able to experience. Joy is found in relationship. Happiness is an emotion that we try to, that is tied to our circumstances. Joy is a decision that is tied to a person. And this is what we're going to talk about a little bit today. And I I think sometimes our problem in life, the reason why we find ourselves wanting to be joyful but not finding it, our problem is that we spend too much time chasing happiness, hoping that it stays with us, when what we really need is joy. Because here's the thing, you you can't be happy and sad at the same time. It doesn't work. Happiness and sadness are opposite, but you can be joyful even in times of sadness. And we need to learn how to pursue the difference between joy and happiness. And and sadness, again, sometimes when we try to fix sadness, we we tend to think that sadness is the thing we need to get rid of. And so we try to bury it with happiness, and that's that's not healthy, that's not good. But rather what we need is joy that helps us carry our sadness. We should not chase after happiness to bury sadness. We should pursue joy in order to carry our sadness. Again, you can't be happy and sad at the same time. Uh, There's a, a Christian psychologist. His name is Dr. Jim Wilder. And he describes joy in this way. He says this, joy helps us regulate our emotions and endure suffering. Jesus refused to relinquish joy in the midst of his suffering on the cross. When we are able to stay relationally connected to others and God, we experience joy while we suffer. Joy does not remove our pain, but it gives us the strength to endure. That's why happiness and joy are very different things. Joy is relational, not circumstantial. And so we're going to look at this in the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus, that we heard read first from the Jesus Storybook Bible. But I want to read this passage for us um, in Luke chapter 1. 
And so I want us to look at Luke chapter 1, and in this story, um, I'm going to skip the next slide, Violet, just so you know, so you can skip ahead. So I want us to look at this story in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Now, in this passage, before Mary has done anything to to receive or to earn favor, she is declared favored. She has not done anything quite yet to receive the status of being favored, and yet God calls her favored. And that word, if you want to learn a fancy Greek word, that word in the original language is karitu. You want to say that with me? Karitu. And what that word means, it literally means to make something lovely. It means to make something lovely. And what we see is that the, what makes Mary lovely, what makes Mary favored, is the fact that God is speaking to her and declaring over her that she is favored. It's not something that she has done. Her favor comes from the fact that God is delighting in her. There, there's a translation of the Bible called the message, Eugene Peterson. It's a paraphrase. And I love how he, he captures verse 28. He says this. The angel speaking to Mary says, you're beautiful with God's beauty, beautiful inside and out. We will come back to this in a second. But the idea here is that the joy of the Lord first comes before the joy of Mary. Joy first comes by seeing that God takes joy and delight in us. But before she delights in this good news, she's troubled. Like, like Mary, we, we t- sometimes kind of skip over this part. Like, this is actually kind of bad news for Mary because she's not married yet. She's a young girl. And all of a sudden, like, she's told, you're pregnant. Like, that's not great news necessarily in this situation. She was deeply troubled. Verse 29 says she was deeply troubled uh, by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And that word troubled, it literally means to be shaken to your core. That's what it means. Like, like Mary, it's not like Mary's like, oh, this is a very peculiar situation I'm in. Like she is deeply distressed by this news. And she literally has to carry this reminder of, of essentially like a, a tarnish on her reputation because she's not married and now she's pregnant And so Mary, who was already poor and kind of on the lower end of society, is now seen as morally bad because of the fact that she's pregnant without being married. And in that time, that was seriously seen as negative. And the angel recognizes this and says this. Now, listen, like he recognizes this is this is tough news. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. So the angel recognizes, I know that this is distressing news, even though it is also good news. Again, joy is not the opposite of sadness. Joy is not found in our circumstances changing. Joy is found in a relationship. And so even though Mary is receiving hard news that she is now pregnant without being married, she now has also this ability to find joy because she knows that joy is not tied to her circumstances. And some of us can relate to Mary. We feel that lowly state that she's in. 
It may be for various reasons. We may feel that we don't fit in. We don't match the groups that we're a part of. We feel very deeply that we are different. And what what the hope is for us in this passage is that joy can be found even if our circumstances are less than happy, less than pleasant. And we see this continue as Mary goes on to share this news with her cousin Elizabeth in verse 41. Elizabeth, who is also pregnant now with John the Baptist, we read these words. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, which is John the Baptist, leaped inside her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you, referring to Mary, blessed are you among women and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Now just imagine being in Mary's shoes or her sandals, so to speak. And just imagine being greeted this way. Like you walk into a room and not only does like does this person delight in seeing you, but the baby inside this person delights in seeing you like like that is a really wonderful thing. When you see somebody light up when they see you, that is a deep, joyful experience. And Mary responds to the joy of Elizabeth with what is probably one of the most joyful songs recorded in all the New Testament. It's referred to as the Magnificat. And no, it does not have anything to do with cats, just so if you're wondering. It has nothing to do with cats. Thank the Lord. Just kidding, just kidding, kind of. Uh, but, but what with the Magnificat, it's a Latin word that means magnify. And this is what Mary says. When she responds, she responds in declaring, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, even though her circumstances are less than pleasant. She is delighting in the midst of sorrow and pain. Why does she rejoice in the midst of bad circumstances? Because of verse 48, because God has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Joy is found when we are found by someone else who delights in us. That's what joy is. Joy is found when we are found by someone else who delights in us. And this is really what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news that God has made a way through Jesus to now look upon us rather rather than being the objects of his destruction who deserve punishment. We are now the objects of his delight. That God now sees us as he sees Jesus. And his face lights up when he sees us. That is what joy is. Joy is relational, not circumstantial. The good news of the gospel is that it's not just that God is going to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise, but that the gospel now gives you the ability to be seen by God in a way that he delights in you, in the way in which his face lights up when he thinks of you. There's a reason why the oldest benediction, the oldest blessing that is recorded in Scripture in Numbers chapter 6 says, May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his what? His face shine upon you. That's what joy is. It is the fact that the God of highest heaven now looks at us no longer as objects of sin and destruction, but now as objects of his delight. It is the love of God towards us that makes us lovely. It is the joy of God that he finds in us that brings us joy. There's a gentleman by the name of Dr. Alan Shore. He's, he is a, a psychiatrist 
out of UCLA, and he's referred to as the Einstein of, of modern psychiatry. I don't know what that means, but I guess he's smart. But, but he has this definition of joy that I have been captivated by for some time. And, and Dr. Alan Shore, who's brilliant, he has more degrees than Fahrenheit, like he's a smart dude, okay? But he, he, um, he has this way of describing joy in this way. He says, joy is when someone is glad to be with me. Joy is when someone is glad to be with me. Again, joy is relational, not circumstantial. And this is what the biblical authors have described. This is how they describe joy. That joy is found when God looks upon us and delights in us. When his face lights up at the the mere thought of who we are. Not because we have done something to be favored, just as Mary did nothing to be favored, but simply because God delighted in her, that's what made her favored, in the same way. God delights in us not because we've done something to earn his delight, but because because he has just simply looked upon us in delight. We all know that feeling of walking into a room or maybe even coming to church. I hope this is the experience for some of us, not all of us. But I hope we know that experience of walking into a room and someone saying like, man, there you are. Like you're so excited to see this person. You feel the sense of joy when someone sees you and their face lights up. How much more so when that person is the God of highest heaven who created joy itself and who looks upon you and thinks about you and the mere thought of you brings him joy. Is this how we think of God, though? I, I, I think I've shared this story before, but when uh, I, there's this memory I have of, of Eddie, my son. I, I asked his permission. I can tell the story. But when he first learned how to catch a Frisbee, the proudest moment as a dad for me, but I, I threw this, this Frisbee to him and he caught it. And his face, like, he was, like, so proud of catching the Frisbee. And then I see him, like, lighting up. And then that made my face light up. Like, oh, my gosh, he did it. And then there was this other layer of joy. So, like, Eddie's joyful. He catches the Frisbee. Then I'm joyful in him being joyful. Then he sees me being joyful in his joy, and he becomes joyful. Like, it just keeps, like, it's like joy begetting joy. And so there is this level of joy that comes when we see someone looking at us. And their face lights up. This is how God sees us when we are in Christ Jesus. The season of Advent and this theme of joy is found when we understand that God sees us and delights in us. The story of Mary delighting in God expressed through the Magnificat, this beautiful passage of Scripture. The story of Mary delighting in God expressed through the Magnificat is basically the story of her reacting to seeing God, seeing her with joy. But is this how we believe God to be? Is this, is, do we actually believe that if we are in Jesus Christ, if we have faith in him, that God actually sees us with delight? Or do we tend to believe that God is more of this angry deity who's just waiting to bust us for doing something wrong? Joy is relational and not circumstantial. And so when we try to change our circumstances to find joy, it's going to be hollow. It's going to be fleeting. If the hope that that once I finally get this thing for Christmas that I've wanted, that that will finally bring me joy, like, it's going to fade. But why is joy so difficult? And here's, here's what I want to kind of give us some thoughts to consider. I believe that joy is difficult to find. Because of two things. One, because of our pursuit of false joy. 
and because of our false understanding of God's pursuit. Let me look at the first thing. I think that we have a trouble with joy because of our pursuit of false joy. I think the human condition can basically be summed up like this. That we all are trying to find joy in something and perpetually being disappointed by the things that we pursue. We're, we're always trying to find joy and then perpetually being disappointed in the things that we pursue. And it's not because the things that we pursue are bad, always. Sometimes they are. But it's because we're pursuing good things, but hoping that they will become ultimate things in our life. And so here's the question. If, maybe if you don't believe in God, that's, that's fine. I'm glad you're here. But I would love for you to consider this question. Like, why do I find joy to be so difficult? And is it possible that because it's because... You have been given divine taste buds, and you're trying to be satisfied by earthly things. Is it possible that we find joy in things other than what this life offers us? And so maybe we should reconsider the premise that joy can only be found in this world. C.S. Lewis probably said this more brilliantly than anybody else in, in mere Christianity. He says this, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud, but probably that earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it and to suggest the real thing. Think about it this way. I, I, I'm going to reveal how like, stupid I am when it comes to video games, but like, what, what are two very popular video game consoles today? Give me one. Xbox. Okay, I, I probably, probably knew that. Okay, we got Xbox. What's another one? Nintendo. Okay, okay. I guess, I guess I'm a little bit smarter than I thought. Okay, so you've got an Xbox and Nintendo. Could you imagine if you were to take an Xbox game and try to play it on a Nintendo console? Would that work? No. Now, does that mean that the game is broken? Would you take that game and just throw it on the ground like, this game doesn't work? No. The reason it's not working, though, is because you're trying to play it on a console that it was not designed to be played on. In the same way, if we try to find joy in the things of this world, it's not that those things are bad. It's that we were designed to actually find our joy in something greater. Does that make sense? I don't play a lot of video games, so hopefully that metaphor kind of works. But the idea is that we are to find our joy in things beyond what this world offers us. And so our, tr- our struggle, struggle with joy is because of our pursuit of false joy. But secondly, and lastly... Because of our false understanding of God's pursuit. We tend to view God. I'll I'll speak for myself. But I think I tend to view God more like a divine cop. Who's in the sky watching me and and waiting to bust me for doing something wrong. Now yes. Does does God hate sin? Yes. Will will God punish sin? Yes. Is there judgment to come for those who, who are unrepentant of sin? Yes. But this is why the gospel is such joyful good news, is that there is now a way for God to look upon us, not as the objects of his destruction, but the objects of his delight, that he now sees us in a very different way. But sin, sin has this power and this peculiar ability to keep us 
from seeing the face of God delight in us when he thinks of us. Sin has this ability to not just produce distance from God, but also a shame that keeps our head buried and refuses to look up and see the Father's face light up at the mere thought of us. Mary is able to respond with joy despite her circumstances because she sees the one who now sees her and she sees his face lighting up at the mere thought of her. This is where joy comes from. Not from pursuing God's blessings, although that is part of it, but in seeing God see us. But how many of us find ourselves walled off from joy because for whatever reason, we allow our sin and shame to keep our head buried and incapable of looking up to see the the, the shining face of the Father who delights in us. Not because we've done anything to earn his joy, but because he delights in us as his children. As I was writing this part of the sermon, I couldn't help but think of the lyrics of the song, Look Up, Child, by Lauren Lauren Daigle. It's a beautiful song. Listen to these words. Where are you now when darkness seems to win? Where are you now when the world is crumbling? Where are you now when all I feel is doubt? Oh, where are you now when I can't figure it out? And then the chorus beautifully says, look up, child. Look up, child. I hear you say, look up, child. Joy is relational, not circumstantial. It is not found in changing our abilities, our our accomplishments, our experiences, our surroundings. Joy is found when we see someone look at us and delight and declare, there you are. How much more so when that person is the creator of all things and who now grants us the ability to be called his children. Joy is relational, not circumstantial. Friends, in this season of of darkness, of advent, of waiting, of longing, of hurting, we are desperate for joy. And not a joy that comes from changing our circumstances, changing our outcomes, our abilities, our accomplishments. It comes from seeing the one who sees us with joy. And so here's my question for you. Is your head buried too low? Do you find yourself unjoyful, lacking joy in life? Is it possible because you no longer see or believe that the God of highest heaven has now made a way possible for him to see you and delight in you and to declare over you, there you are. I've been waiting for you. And so if that is you, if you find yourself looking down because you doubt that anyone could ever look upon you and consider you lovely, call you favored, then my word to you is to look up, child, and to see the love of the Father who looks upon us and delights in us, who looks upon us just as he did with Mary and declares, there you are, I've been waiting for you. For the same God who looked with joy upon Mary, who did nothing to become favored, looks upon us in our lowly state and delights in us with joy and with singing. The Old uh, Old Testament prophet Zephaniah says these words, Sing for joy, daughter of Zion. Shout loudly, Israel. Be glad and celebrate with all your heart, daughter of Jerusalem. Why? For the Lord has removed your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. 
The king of Israel, the Lord is among you. You need no longer fear harm. If it stopped right there, that would be good news. But if we keep reading, Zephaniah says this, on that day it will be said to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. Why? For the Lord your God is among you. A warrior who saves and he will rejoice over you with gladness and he will be quiet in his love and he will delight in you with singing. Is this how we see and believe God to be? That he is a God who delights in us with singing. Would we come to find that joy is not circumstantial but relational? And it is found in seeing the one who sees us. And who sees us in joy, not because we have done anything to earn that, but because he has made a way possible to now look upon us with great joy. And so here's what I'd like to do to close our time. I I want to invite you, if you want to, if you're comfortable, just to close your eyes, if you would. But to not bow your head. To keep your head up, but to keep your eyes closed. And, And I want us to think in this moment, just to identify the very thing in your life that you've been chasing to find joy. And as you keep your head up with your eyes closed, I just want you to silently pray this prayer. Oh God, you have made me to delight in much more than this. Oh God, you have made me to delight in much more than this. And and keeping your eyes closed and keeping your head up as a way to symbolize this idea that God sees us and we want to be seen. We want to see him seeing us. I want you to think about this very thing that keeps your head down. Think about the thing that keeps you in shame. The thing that keeps you from believing that you could be seen and looked upon as lovely, as favored. I want you to think about that thing in your life right now and pray this prayer silently to yourself. Oh God, you delight in me with singing because your son, Jesus Christ. Oh God, you delight in me with singing. Because of your son, Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you. That you have made a way possible for us as broken, shameful sinners. To no longer be the objects of your wrath and judgment. But that you now, through Jesus, have made a way for us to be forgiven, redeemed, and called your own. Lord, would you grant us the ability to find joy in that before we seek joy in anything else. Would you, Holy Spirit, grant us the ability to see the Father seeing us and delighting in us as his children? So I pray for all who are present in this time, would you remove the the lies that keep our heads down and would we look up as your children and behold you beholding us and delighting with great joy in the fact that we are now yours? Would you do this, Lord, for our sake and for your glory? We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. I'm going to invite my friend Rachel up to lead us in a time of confession.